Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Telich Talks. And my guest this week is a longtime broadcaster, Michael Regai. Michael has done play-by-play for the Cleveland Cavaliers for many seasons on television and also play-by-play for the Baltimore Orioles. In fact, for a span of eight seasons, he handled the duties of both of those teams each particular year. So he was doing 82 NBA basketball games and then 162 Major League Baseball games. We talk about that. We talk about his career, his influences. He's a Michigan guy who has made pretty much his entire career in TV right here in the great state of Ohio. We also had thoughts about the state of youth basketball today and about the pressure that young Bronny James has to deal with and what it was like for Michael to do play-by-play back in those days when LeBron James sprung out of Akron St. Vincent St. Mary, came to the NBA, and became the global icon that he is and remains to this day. Real interesting conversation. I've known him a long time. I hope you enjoy it. Michael Regai on Tellage Talks. Michael, pleasure having you on uh, the podcast today. And I obviously want our listeners to know that we've known each other a long, long time. <laughs> yeah. We have worked together. Uh, I did Cavs uh, pregame. You, mm-hmm. of course, were the voice of the Cavaliers on TV for many seasons and uh, always enjoyed working with you. I'm curious how the evolution came for you. You came into the Cleveland market mostly as a TV nightly guy, kind of like what I do. Mm-hmm. But you evolved into being a play-by-play guy. Where, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, John, and uh, thanks so much for having me with you. you uh, yeah, you and I have uh, a far greater relationship we have for 30-plus years, yeah. and it's been a pleasure for me, sir. Um, you, you know, that's yes, I came in like you and so many of us, you know, an anchor on uh, local news and you were uh, channel my, five my yes but my first uh, lime ohio it's been all ohio lime ohio and then toledo ohio and then i got the big opportunity when uh, a gentleman by the name of in late 83 howard sudbury who had been gib shanley's weekend guy yes he got a job in uh, chicago yes and big yes hometown, move, hometown for move for him so they needed a weekend sports anchor and of course you know heard about it and i said wow cleveland uh you know major market so yeah got lucky enough fortunate enough to get the job and uh, so that was late 1983 with gib shanley and just an iconic legendary uh, just loved him in terms of John and him, you know, knowing he's the voice of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. And then, of course, Gib, um, I was a year and a half in for me. Gib left and uh, went to Los Angeles in early 85. And then uh, Neville Chandler comes <laughs> in uh, at the time. Neville was doing, as you know, the Indians. The Little already. General. The Little General. Boy, loved him so much. And, you know, just miss him and still think about him all the time, as you and I have talked about. But, yeah, so I got the opportunity there. And it was 1986. When, um, you know, again, great fortune that ESPN, um, you know, gave me a shot and said they'd be interested in in me calling college uh, football and basketball. 1986, I was still at Channel 5, but... That was a big break, though. Seriously. Great break, JT. Uh, Just so humbled by it. I still think about it a lot. But the point is, it it still wasn't going to be enough to completely pay the bills, but... I had to have Saturdays free and in some cases Sunday. So now I got I 
Well, I can't say. Well, it's, i got to make a decision here. I can't sign a new contract at Channel 5 as a weekend sports anchor and do this, too. So, you know, I decided I really love play-by-play. I want to give it a shot and just see. And if I, you know, I fail, then, okay, maybe I'll be lucky enough I can get an anchor job still somewhere. But I wanted to give it a shot, JT, and that's what I did. And uh, I've been very fortunate and uh, humbled by having the opportunities I got. What? Uh, so what were some of the influences that you had? As, as our listeners should know, Michael, you're a Michigan guy, and you've Born made your Detroit, entire career in here in Ohio, yeah, which is yeah. great great to hear. But uh, was it Ernie Harwell, or who were some of the greats that you listened Absolutely. To? Ernie Harwell, I think one of the greatest uh, baseball play-by-play announcers John we've ever had. And, yeah. Uh, I think uh, many, um, you know, recognize that as such with Ernie. Um, in in basketball, in fact, he's still going with the Detroit Pistons. When I was a high school kid, George Blaha got the uh, the uh, radio play-by-play job with the Detroit Pistons and has been with them ever since, which is, you know, he's into 45 years calling the Pistons. He very much an influence, too. And there was a gentleman who I felt like Gibb when uh, I was a kid was named Van Patrick, who okay. uh, called the Detroit Lions. He was a Lions play-by-play voice. So, sure, all those guys were great influences, I think. You know, it would be no different, like we said, you know, here with um, you and your buddies, you know, growing up with Gibb calling yes. the Browns and Herbie score, you know, and, and the legendary Joe Tate. Joe Tate with the Cavaliers. In fact, with Joe, you know, John, you know, so such a great relationship with him, and he was so good to me, and even to the point where people would say, you know, it felt great as time went on. Oh, you know, Red Guy, play by play, you're the play by play voice of the Cavaliers. Ah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm the television play by play voice of the Cavaliers. Joe Tate is, mm-hmm. has been, and always will be the play-by-play voice the original right there when uh, so good. Fitch came from Coe College in Iowa JT so good in fact people would tell me and this is no but it was always you know when we were kids yeah. NBA Marv Albert with the Knicks yeah. right of course um you know you the the legendary guys and the then of course you had Chick Hearn with the LA Lakers and, you know, so we, we had a chance to hear those guys. It wasn't as predominant now. You'd have to hear on a highlight and say, whoa, that's Marv Albert with the Knicks. That's Chick Hearn with the L.A. Lakers. That's Johnny Most with the Boston Celtics. He stole the ball. Perfect. Havlicek stole the ball. It's good. With <laughs> a gravelly voice. John, honest. Now, this is back. I'm in high school in Detroit. I Because I could, I could hear 3WE. Right? And I said, wait, whoa, wait a minute. Who is this this dude? guy, Tate, I know he's as good, if not better, than all those three who are the legend, New York, L.A., and Boston right. championship, the legendary voices. And I've always felt that way about Joe. Nobody painted a better picture than Joe Tate in basketball on the radio. Just a legend. I, Cleveland, you don't know how lucky you are to have a guy like him. That was 30 plus years calling the Cavaliers. Phenomenal. What uh, what did he give you tips on, like to how to prepare, or did he give you tips on how to lay out for certain plays, or to be more descriptive on a 
a play-by-play action or anything of that uh, nature? That's the thing about Joe. He'd always, uh, you know, but he was big on, listen, you know, you had to develop your own style. Don't try to be me. Don't try to be anybody else. you got to develop your own style and what feels good for you. Then, of course, once you do that, sure, I mean, there are some things that will help you along the way. John, I'll be honest, the biggest thing for me, because had done a lot of basketball on the radio, and I'm more the type of guy, yeah, I, I like to be, you know, enthused and excited. And uh, but, but, you know, now on TV, you don't have – sometimes less is better, right? Yeah. As a television play-by-play guy. That, that you know, I hey, honestly, I fully admit that was my biggest impediment early on. Man, you got, I got to, you know, you got to, when you're on TV, you got to pull this back a little so bit. So you felt you just you talked can, too much, basically. Yes. You, 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 you got in the way of what was on the, on the screen. Absolutely. And I had to learn that. Uh, was there you, a tipping point? Anything yeah. that you, a particular I game or you, you went back and watched it and said, what in the world was I doing there or no? Yeah, it, it's funny. It's because, uh, let's see, well, I'd already been four years. No, I, I take that back. My second year, when Mike Fratello got the Cavaliers job, and of course Mike had, you know, uh, as he was, he was dubbed the czar of the telestrator. Yes, he had a and great TV career. Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, we'd be on the plane, and Mike, Mike would just come out and say to me, you know, because he'd be watching the, the you know, the, and uh, he'd say, yeah, you know, you might want to pull that back a little bit. And I say, you know what, coach, yeah, I, I got you. You're right. And, you know, he was very nice, but I get it. You're, you you started as a young guy. It was radio that, you know, is uh, we calling college games and high school games on the radio. So, you know, yeah, I had to do that. And uh, Mike was helpful in that. But, again, just more reps, John, like with anything else, the reps, are you know what? You don't. You're not on TV. You're every time the ball is passed. Every time someone's making a move, hell, the analysts might be talking about you know making a uh, off a replay or whatever. So all of that, and I think, but repetition and more and more and more and night after night, things start becoming a little bit more normal and comfortable. And you have to do a ton of preparation. Please let our listeners know what kinds of things that you would have to do. Let, let's say we're talking about a, 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 a Cavaliers game that, you know, you're playing four games within the span of seven days. How much prep can you do game by game by game when you were doing the camps? For me, John, the first thing that I did, and, and for instance, it was uh, imperative to develop, and he told me as the years went by uh, that a comfortability with coaches, management, players. So for me, it's like, I'm going to go to every Cavaliers practice that they have. I will be at shoot-arounds in the morning of every game. Not a lot happening. Guys are out there. Sometimes only last 20 minutes. But it was very, very important for me to let the Cavalier organization know this guy's invested. He wants to be good, and he wants to be able to kind of be the uh, be the liaison between the team and the audience, the fans, in order to put out the best product you can. And as you know, I mean, a lot of those Cavalier teams, you know, weren't very good before, you know, Coach Fratello got a bit of the playoffs. But I just looked at that. doesn't matter. You know, it you know what? I owe the audience that that I'm invested here and I should know everything that moves about these players, these coaches, and this organization. And that's the way I looked at it. So 
I, I will say, I, in 13 years, I don't think I can count on one hand how many practices or, or uh, cavalier shoot-arounds I missed. Yeah. And so, what was, uh, what was your mindset when the ping pong balls fell the way they fell? <laughs> wow. Dropped the way they dropped, and you yeah. knew that you're going to start doing play-by-play -play of the Cavaliers. You'd already been doing it for years, but now this young, budding superstar eventually becoming the greatest player in the game is going to be out there 82 nights yeah. a year and you're calling his games yeah john that's that's uh that's a great story and a and a uh, a good question and a great story because you know um in 1997 uh with the old uh, general manager that hired me at um at uh, well it sports it was sports, it was channel, sports channel right that ultimately became fox sports ohio uh mike lear Mike became the um, director of broadcasting with the Baltimore Orioles. And he had always told me that if there was a chance, you know, with the Indians here, that uh, he said, would you? I said, well, sure, of course, I'd be honored. Uh, but so, you know, they, they're after the 1996 NBA season, uh, he offered me the Baltimore Orioles play-by-play -play job. So on the night of the NBA draft, I was in the visitor's television booth in 03 out in Anaheim as the I was getting ready for the Orioles to play the Angels the Los Angeles <laughs> Angels yeah John and so here I am I'm like hey I gotta I gotta we gotta do all our pregame stuff because I gotta watch this three-hour time difference so that's when I saw that ping pong and the, the Cavaliers are gonna get LeBron James and th that changed everything I mean I think it changed everything for this this city for the organization and for the then all of the uh, excitement and expectation that this wonder kid, yeah. you know, that we all of us kind of say we saw grow up. We did. Yeah. Right. At Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary now was going to be without question the number one draft pick and hopefully to change the course of the Cavalier organization, which, you know, he, he most certainly did. So but yeah, it, but you just knew that you were going to be now. This was much going to be more of a well, the Cleveland Cavaliers weren't national, you know, at all. I mean, it was kind of like an afterthought. Well, now this is going to put them in the national spotlight every night this young man steps on the floor. And that's exactly what it did. That opening night um, in late October against the Sacramento Kings in Sacramento, and you know LeBron just has, has had a tremendous performance. But John, I remember there was over 300 media members from all over the nation that were there for that when he made his NBA debut. So you knew this is going to be something that's going to be very, very special, and hopefully uh, a a lifetime changing for Cleveland sports fans and Cavalier fans. Where did the uh, uh, the genesis of your 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 great catch line about, you know, when he's taken off for a dunk, where did that come from? Did that just pop up into your head as you're, you're getting ready to do it? It, it, it kind of did. You know, I'm not going to tell you that I, I didn't, you know, kind of think about because to me it was like uh, the explosiveness. It almost looks, you know, it looks like an airplane taking off or whatever. <laughs> so I just said, yeah, I'm going to flight number 23 with liftoff and <laughs> let's see if it works, you know. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, John, to me, it's a one thing about play by plays, you know, I mean, we all, you, me, we started as sports anchors. So we're working with teleprompters and what have you. And I did. I wanted to challenge like, you know, another. 
if you can do play by play, you know, or if you want to take that chance and see if you're good. Well, there's no prompters. I mean, you know, you right. gonna this is this is what you're going to be able to either uh, ultimately be successful at, or it'll kind of just like anything else, it'll it'll run you off if you can't. So yeah, to me. But I was the type of kid, even as a little kid, in in you know the backyard at home, if I'm out there and. For me, like for you, it would have been the Indians or the Browns. Or sure. the, for me, it was the Tigers and Lions and, and Pistons. I'd, you know, kind of, if I was by myself and not playing in any games with uh, my buddies in the neighborhood as a young kid, I'd kind of be Al K-Line saying, hey, yeah. here's a pitch to K-Line. Here's a drive to deep left center. K-Line, is it a three-run homer? You know, same thing. with. So I started doing that as a young kid. So I guess it was always in my mind that, maybe someday I'll get the opportunity to. What was it like then each and every night seeing his talents kind of blossom from season to season uh, uh, in those early years for you, Michael? Yeah, JT, the thing about, I was always, uh, the talent, you know, the the physical gifts, obvious, but I was really impressed and taken with that, you know, the emotionally, psychologically, with with intellect and smarts how LeBron was able to continue to grow because I mean you know you got there's uh, media all the time twice a day with him at shoot around or practice as you know yep uh, from uh, doing a terrific job you did as our our sideline guy and as our pregame and postgame guy you know, I mean, that's, that's an 18-year-old kid. I, I, I wouldn't have been, I wasn't prepared to deal with that at 18 years old. Not even close. Right. For me. Just getting out of high school. And so that was so very impressive to me that he was able, it's almost like you saw, this kid has got the goods, we know. And it's a very smart young man. But I also then said, but he, 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 he's to the point, too, where he's getting almost by the day you can see him grow a greater understanding of um, how he's got to do this and, and, and be able to do it well and handle these type of situations and handle tough questions. And that's what really impressed me that he, I thought he showed great, great maturity with that. I mean, he's, he was a kid and you know, right. like I said, when you're a kid, you're gonna do kid things once in a while. And, Hang out with your buddies, and but I think you realize that uh, there's a lot expected of me. I've got great expectation here, and um, I think it, he used it as I'm going to prove to you that I'm more than just this uh, once in a lifetime basketball talent. That I, I'm a I'm a smart kid. I'm an intelligent kid, and. I know how to speak to everybody. I thought he did a terrific job at that. I think it's been really kind of cool, Michael, to see the evolution of LeBron, the young man, now the mature man, the the father, and uh, the iconic sports figure doing things beyond the basketball court, whether it's his school, whether it's uh, how he kind of broke the mold in some of his relationships, uh, how he and Maverick and Rich Mm -hmm. and... um, um, Ernie, uh, how how they all kind of evolved as a group and kind of felt that they could do things, carve their own kinds of paths. And I didn't see that coming. I just, I, so that's been impressive in some way, shape or form. No question about it. I mean, this is a global business icon now. And, uh, you know, and with that goes, uh, as he gets older, I think, um, you and I have talked about it uh, here uh, at you know at other points and and when we're conversing that 
you know, the expectations now are going to be very, I mean, that it's, it's real simple. He either wins another NBA championship uh, with the L.A. Lakers or, you know, he's, you look at the history of that organization, uh, John. I mean, with the uh, look at every one of them going back to George Mikan in Minneapolis. And then, you know, um, anybody is Lou Elsinder and Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain. Lou Elsinder became Kareem, of course. And, and then through Magic and Worthy and Kobe, the point I'm trying to make is they all won championships. So, but I think LeBron is fully aware and understanding of that. He's not going to ever be regarded as one of those guys. He's got to win. He's got to win a championship. So, you know, we'll we'll see if that's in the offing for him. I, you know, I don't know, but I he's still phenomenal in in everything he does on the floor. It. It, it does look like there's a little bit of, um, you know, slowing back of the explosion plays, but that's, you know, I don't know, Father Time kind of ultimately, but he's played so many minutes. And so look at, I mean, right, uh, you look at the years in the NBA right now, he's going into, what, 14th year and all the, all the trips to the finals and a uh, large amount of minutes in May and June in the playoffs and championship rounds so we'll see if anybody can handle it i'm you know i wouldn't bet against them yeah but uh i do think that there's a finite now amount of time uh, maybe a couple years that maybe three that, i think the uh, window is a couple three years couple, two to three years yeah. yeah okay so that's that's my thinking i think uh, uh beyond that i don't know but uh two to three years and so now they made this move to get anthony davis uh to come play with them maybe there's more but uh and maybe uh, I think I think LeBron does have though quite a uh, a desire. I think he wants this very very badly too, because everybody's got naysayers, right? They do. So well, yeah. there's a lot of naysayers. He's done. He's not going to be able to win one again. And we'll. I, I think he's going to use this as this ultimate chip once again. Now the team that he left uh, for the second time, uh, the Cavaliers. Changed coaches. We know John Beeline. You've got a little bit of history mm-hmm. going a lot of years back oh, with John. Boy. Yeah, just just uh, you know, uh, calling uh, the college game as I have, JT. And I mean, I remember I first called it. He was at Canisius. That's the know, Buffalo School. The Buffalo School. Early, correct. Very That's early. when I first met Coach Beeline. And again, same thing. You know, going to his practices on day before day of a game. And then he went to Richmond, and I called some of his games at Richmond. And, uh, you know, then to West Virginia, where he, of course, had that great tournament with yeah. Mike Ganzi. With Mike Ganzi, yes. The local guy, and Kevin Pitznagel, whose name <laughs> became. And Coach Beeline is always a tremendous innovator offensively. I think we all, you know, again, I, I think the world of him. I'd, uh, look look at what he did the last five, six years in Michigan. I mean, wow, Final Fours, Elite Eights, uh, you know, Three Big Ten tournament championships did a fabulous job, you know, in Ann Arbor. So I would never say, you know, I'm gonna count the guy out. I do believe he's got a chance, but it, but it is an adjustment, though, John, from the sure. college game to the pro game. And um, you know, uh, Coach Beeline is, uh, but I think he convinced everyone, and it's always been a desire of his. I think the NBA and 
he obviously felt this was the right time. I know they're they're very 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 disappointed at, in Ann Arbor that uh, because I mean look again look at how he's had things rolling there. Right. But I, you know I hope that uh, I hope that his way of uh, teaching and development works on an everyday basis in the NBA. But I think that's you know to be determined. It's going to be very interesting to see just as you mentioned partially kind of how the schedules play out you got to get your work done in training camp and then as that season begins there's just so few opportunities uh, and then it has to be how receptive are guys going to be to any dynamic changes in philosophies uh, uh, sets that he wants to uh, implement and that type of stuff it's a great way to put it dynamic and I think you're so right I mean this is gonna be a two-way street now you know but I mean I, I think Coach Beeline, from knowing him as I do, I've known, I had a relationship with a few of his assistant coaches over the past, and they rave about him that he is, he that you know that's they said he's an he's been an offensive guy his whole career, and um, you know was one of the first guys. John, he loved bigs that could shoot the ball. Yeah. You know, I mean, guys say six eight, six nine, and above. No, you're not going to be the typical guy where I've got you down in the block you know, around the rim, and I'm going to throw your ball. No, no, no. you got to show me you can come out to what we know now, the three-point line, and shoot it, and shoot it well. That's the type of offense that he favors the most. Um, but the, the assistant coaches that, uh, you know, have have been a part of his staffs have told me, well, listen, it, it, he it, he's not the type that says, you know, my way or the highway. He's brought them in. Okay, here's what I want you to do for our program. And a couple of them have been, Listen, I'm not him, Beeline, saying I'm not the best at devising defenses. I'm an offensive guy. You handle our defenses. And, and you know, I mean, the last three, four years, Michigan's defense has been, you know, excellent um, in the college game. So, you know, again, there's going to be an adjustment. And you, you said it, great word, dynamic. The dynamic of this thing is going to – but I, I am interested in how, you know, the NBA player now yeah. – are they going to want to maybe go through all of the fundamental uh, hours that John Beeline has always put into his practice work? You know, on NBA players, I, well, to be determined, right? We got to see. I, you know, Michael, I also say you wondering whether or not they can uh, want to be privy to being really fully. Uh, uh, involved with the fundamentals can go back to maybe a couple of questions I have about like AAU basketball now. You don't see that as much. You see phenomenal highlight reels and a, hey, God bless this kids that's got that has 30,000 followers on Instagram. But what does this have <laughs> yeah. to do with right. implementing an offensive set at the University of Michigan or at Ohio State University or where? So can the AAU game not necessarily change, but it, but at least tilt some of the focus um is is it a dead-end street for developing kids that can really play the game the right way well john there's nothing that is a uh, a great question that i don't know that uh, you know we can even begin to close to answer to me though that you know aau has taken a uh, a step in the direction of um individual talent and which we know there is an abundance of. Tons of it, it. I mean, kids are so good now, so skilled, um, you know, so with their ball handling and their ability to pass the ball and, you know, so explosive. Um, I still think, you know, for the most part, a lot of kids don't shoot the ball as well as they're going to need to. Uh, but we'll see. I, 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 boy, I don't know. I just, 
I'm I don't want to sound like you know an old curmudgeon, like you were saying, the get off my lawn guy. But John, I just wonder now if AAU and 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 what is um, seems to be the main thrust of it, like in making sure that uh, individual players are promoted to the heights that you know you want that everywhere like LeBron James has become. I don't know. I don't know if the team or, or, or forget the team game. Making a young man or young lady yep. a complete player suffers. How about that? Not well. How about we say that? I, I just think there aren't as to me. And again, they're more talented than guys like we ever were. Not even not close. even close as players in any sport. Bigger, faster, but but do they understand the correct way to play the game or the proper way that makes from the team perspective that makes everything click and go real well team wise i'm not sure about that and uh, you know i guess i guess with a guy like john beeline we're going to find out if what he did so successfully um you know throughout his college for over three decades as a college coach if that is going to um you know be something that works in the nba you know, some of these uh, young kids get so much exposure now, and as I mentioned before, you know, a lot of it's social media that, that they put out themselves and what have you. But then there's the case of LeBron's son, LeBron Jr. Mm-hmm. Stuff was already put out about him when he was a five-year-old, and now he's, you know, in his early teens, ninth graders uh, type of a... And he's a very good young basketball player. But can you imagine the... I don't know if the word is pressure, just... The uh, what he's dealing with by being so scrutinized at this young age, and obviously, the ability to rise to the heights of your father is one tall order. What where, where can is, is this isn't a train wreck in the making, but this this is a tough situation for a young kid to be in. I think a real tough situation, and uh, I think quite frankly that uh, that LeBron and Savannah. You know, uh, Bronny's mom, LeBron's wife, are going to, uh, they're going to, to me, John, they're going to have to be the main components into, you know, making sure that, you know, this young man is, and I believe, you know, have fun, enjoy yourself, don't, don't put yourself, worry about anybody making comparisons to dad, you know, love LeBron. Because I, I do. I mean, I, I worry about. I worry about any kid that was faced with that. How, how in God's name is he ever going to live up to that? I don't care how good he is, JT. Yeah, and if you see his videos, the kid really has a beautiful feel for the game. He does and skills, and he just he, like his dad. But yep. again, there I go saying just yeah. like his dad. He's yeah. not just like his dad. He's his father's son, and let's leave it at that. He's got to develop on his own. That's right. And you and I have the great pleasure in, in, in doing what we do professionally in our industry, so we get to be around this. But you just said it. What do you think? The just the normal, the millions of everyday NBA fans. He's well. He's not like LeBron. He's not like his dad. He's not <laughs> as good as his dad. Is that not going to be the first thing out of their mouth? Well, people will want to knock him down at every opportunity. Bingo. And, and, and there you go. And just by virtue of being the son of LeBron James and putting on basketball shorts, uh, 
puts him in that spotlight yeah. and those crosshairs. I think back to, uh, you remember, and you and I can, not that we were like, we weren't, we weren't there in Chicago covering the Bulls, but remember Jeffrey Jordan, Michael's son? You know, boy, I always felt, you know, good high school player, but quite honestly, it never went much further than that. There were people that said, you know, he's almost as big as his dad. I think he was six foot five and, you know, a guard, but, you know, and a lot of people that I talked to around the city of Chicago, it's like he, the poor kid got eaten alive by the comparisons with Michael, his dad. I mean, who, who... what what any of us at that age is prepared to handle something like that you got to be extraordinary special so but there again hey you and i'd be pie in the sky if we sat here and said oh i hope everybody all basketball fans understand that and say no it's what we said a minute ago oh he's either as good as his dad or he's not and there's nothing in between so if you're not you're a failure but but you know that's what amateur sports is today jt right unfortunately that's what it is it is he is uh, he's a very good young player and obviously we'll just have to uh you know let time take its toll and see how see how he develops but what we're seeing in this day and age now is the multi-talented uh young players that we see you can't pigeonhole that this guy's a five that guy's a four whatever good or bad for the game i would say great for the great for the game Fabulous. I, you know, and again, and we maybe we'll see some of this with the Cavaliers. I'm hoping that's why I mentioned that with uh, Coach Beeline. And again, I, I have had over 20 years of with various, that was his thing. I don't care what, what size you are. I expect you offensively to be able virtually handle any and every role on the floor. You know, so if you're a big, you got to shoot it, and you got to be able to shoot it from outside, and you got to be able to pass it and set great screens. But it's not just going to be standing underneath the rim just because you're six foot ten. So yeah, I, I do think it was we said kids, basketball players, but I'd say the same about football and baseball players too. You know, the three sports that I'm more heavily involved with and have been. Um, the, the kids in gen- are just so much more gifted, so much more talented, and and I think do have the capability to play every facet of the game. It's just hopefully that mentally and you know psychologically they understand it's gonna make me a better player if I'm able to do you know uh, more than one or two aspects of whatever game you're playing. So. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, that's my hope for 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 all coaches, and, and I feel for coaches sometimes because the pressures that they have. I mean, JT, I you know, I don't even want to get into though, but the things that I hear in the stands at high school games and AAU games and uh, good travel baseball teams games, sure. it's like, I my goodness gracious, you know, and that's. Uh, and that's adults need to sometimes, I think, uh, have a little bit better perspective and idea of what they're looking at and what they're watching. And it's not always the coach's fault, okay? right? It's not always that coach is, uh, he's terrible, he, she's terrible. No, <laughs> you know, and I, I know I'm really going, but I hear way too much of that for my taste, mm-hmm. way too much of that. A little bit more accountability and responsibility with the young athlete. And you know what? Uh, Some of that, to me, still comes from home. 
Good. Good answers. All right. One or two more questions yes, before sir. we let you go. This has been a great combo. Let me go back to when you were doing both 100 and you know 162 baseball yeah. games and 82 basketball games, NBA, Major League Baseball. How'd you pull it off? How many years did you do that? And how did that Concurrently, what Cavs a grind, Michael. It was. It was. What was John, it like? first and foremost, though. You know, and I, I mean, mean I use this. the word grind, and I know we could say working in a coal mine, yes. that's a grind. Well, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. First and foremost, though, and I mean this, and I think, you know, you and I have known each other for uh, over three decades. So, but I truly mean this. First of all, to me, I, I never forgot. You know, in those days I felt like, oh, travel's not good, or this is a grind today, or the team I'm calling is, you know, getting drilled, you know, halfway through the game. Um, I, John, I, you know, just completely, I mean, honored, humbled, flattered to have those type of opportunities. So 21 seasons, 13 with the Cavaliers and 8 with the Orioles, 21 seasons of in professional sports and uh you know, again, sure, yeah, you gotta you gotta work hard and make sure that uh, you know you're doing the job to the best of your ability and in the right way. But always honored and and humbled to have that opportunity. Yeah, so it was like 250 games a year for those eight years, and you know it it, it takes a little bit of a toll on your personal life, but. You know, John. Honestly, I can't. I was I was driven by it. It. Uh, I loved it, man. I loved it to the very core. About you know, work with people like here with the Cavaliers, like with uh, Matty Gukas, uh, just just a fabulous uh, color analyst and just so smart. Austin Carr even had you know Quinn Buckner, uh, had Brad Doherty, Mark Price. You know, all the people work with. And in Baltimore, you know, my eight years in the booth were with Jim Palmer, Hall of Fame pitcher. And uh, you came. We talked when you, during a, when the Indians and Orioles played. And you came. You came with your camera crew. You were there for the series. And you and I talked. And uh, the late Mike Flanagan, too, who yeah. was, uh, that Jim and Mike uh, broke up the 162 games and my partners and you know, so to be able to work with guys like that in both sports and develop lifelong relationships with, and you rely on each other so yeah. much, John, night after night after night. You know, there's some nights we're not always at our 100% best, and you rely on that person next to you for so much. And, you know, I hope that they would say the same thing. There were times they relied on me to, uh, you know, uh, assist them on a particular evening. So, but that kind of relationship that you develop and then to have things go well and if you do get some that, uh, you, the feeling or that you're told that, yeah, I don't really like this and it's it's good, you know, that's, that's the best. So, for me, though, just uh, I do, I do look at, there haven't been, been many that have, you know, called uh, those two sports concurrently. And uh, so I was very fortunate and honored and, and lucky to be a small part of that. Were there any days where you did bo uh, both? Uh, was yes. Was there like a, a baseball game in the afternoon? Yes, and twice. I did it twice, and they both involved um, Orioles and uh, the Detroit Tigers. At Old Tiger Stadium. Okay. One was in 98, one in 99, and this was April. And, of course, early April. And then Cavaliers at home that night. At home, and so I you had to drive to Cleveland. I drove, I dro you know, yeah. I was with, went to Detroit with the <laughs> Orioles, you know. But 
Um, at that time, for those first couple of years, um, I did not. If the Cavaliers played, and I I did the in that April, you'd have about two weeks, right, when the baseball season starts. I did the Cavaliers, and uh, but but that one two times. It was Orioles in at Tiger Detroit. Stadium afternoon game. Both were on a Saturday, and then got here in time, plenty of time to call the Cavaliers at the at, at um, an 8 p.m. tip-off. Yeah, so it happened twice, and you know I was worried about well, what if the baseball game goes long? But uh, one time, my, my good buddy Mike Messina for the Orioles pitched a two-hit shutout Thank in you, two hours and eight minutes, and I made sure I I bought him dinner. Then I said, you don't know how much you helped me, but you helped me big time. <laughs> well, you, you, my man, have helped me a lot. I appreciate all our friendship over the years and uh, sitting down and kind of spilling your guts for me, my my friend. And I uh, look forward to continuing with this friendship. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation. JT, it's always my pleasure. Like I said, it's over three decades. You are the ultimate pros pro, and I mean that. And uh, I know you know that. And uh, it's it's always an honor to be able to talk sports with you, buddy. And, and good luck on uh, the continuance of your podcast here. That's pretty cool. My pleasure. It's always great to talk to Michael. We had the opportunity to work with each other on those Cavalier broadcasts for about seven or eight seasons, and each and every time that we would get together to do the broadcast, he was meticulously prepared, and it certainly showed when he did the broadcast as Flight 23 is ready for takeoff. Thanks for listening to this week's edition. Please subscribe and rate as you go to the areas where you get this podcast, we are pretty much on every podcast platform that there is. So thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you the next time around on Tellich Talks. <laughs>